0: To another episode of black boy joy you're joined here again with me ainsley and with me kieran and yes we have a guest with us um we are very pleased to be welcomed by cameron also known as breeze Bon coffee welcome to black boy joy cameron hey 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 everybody <laughs> hey welcome <laughs> let me be the first to say that you probably have one of the best recording voices I've ever heard before. Like I, I agree. I
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: It sounds like soft cocoa butter to the ear. Thank you so have, much. Have you ever had that before?
1: Yeah. Con- actually <laughs> constantly. Yeah. Um mm. I used to <laughs> work a lot of like uh customer service jobs and reception jobs and I'd always be on the phones. And the first thing, especially women. Yeah. Would be like, oh my god. Gosh, in America, <laughs> oh <my> gosh. <laughs> your voice and then go about their business. But um, yeah, I've got that lot. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's really not surprising. Thank
0: you. <laughs> so um, where is the accent from, might I ask?
1: So I'm originally from New York City. The accent is pretty much a general American accent. I don't have a strong New York accent. Um, I could put it on, but it's not my natural one. So yeah, I'm from New York City, right. United States. Okay, and you now live in London. Is that right? Yeah, I live in London, but living here for six years now.
0: What made you move to the, What made you move to London? I'm interested.
1: Okay, well, that's a long story. Um, we jump it right into the deep end. I see. Oh. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, if you, if you if you want the whole story, I can give you the whole story. If you want the bridge version, I can give you that. I mean, which one you want?
0: <laughs> I got time. My uh, my wine glass isn't even empty yet. So
1: <laughs> <you can take laughs> okay. Um. Well, you should know, I'm a performer. Um, I do mostly musical theater now. And I'd say around 2012, I started to really pick up my professional career in New York City, which is very hard to do. However, none of, m- most of my jobs have been outside of New York City and also outside the country. And so basically in 2014, that's the year I got like my big break as we call it, you know. Um, and that was in Europe, it was in Denmark. And it was the opera Porgy and Best at the Royal Oh, Danish I know opera. Oh. Yeah. 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 Um, and l- listen, Porgy and Bess. yeah. And listen, Porgy and Best is an opera that keeps so many Black folks worldwide employed. <laughs> uh, it is done at so many opera houses, so many theaters, so many companies and organizations want to do it because they know people love it. And, you know, it's, it's an instant seller. So anyway, 2014, January to, to May... Um, I was in Copenhagen, Denmark um, with my first major, major, major stage job and that was pretty much my door into Europe. Um, As I was there, I networked, I always believed in networking, so I networked with as many people as I could and just made a lot of different connections in my cast and outside in the then Danish uh, theatre and music industry. Um, A lot of, half of my castmates were British. So then I started to make British connections, British friends mm-hmm. in the industry here. Um, after that job ended, I got referred to do another job in Austria, um, mm-hmm. the musical called Showboat, which is an old school style. And basically I didn't have to audition, which is really rare. Yeah. So a colleague of mine who was in Poor Game Best was like, hey, I know somebody, he can't do the job because um, of a conflict with time they need somebody who can sing low who can sing operatically and musical theater wise star wise and who's available and i was like yes yes and yes yeah and they just <laughs> they, they hired me they didn't see me i didn't step foot into austria until my first day of rehearsals and so oh, that goodness. that got me to another european country and let me tell you something like a lot of people um especially black folks in the united states unfortunately Do not travel, whether that be because of financial reasons or just because, you know, you just, it's hard to think outside of the big country that is the USA. Um, so the fact that my career was kicking off in two European countries, I mean, if you asked me in 2013, I would have been like, no, that's not going to happen. You know, it's going to take me like five years or more to, to get a type of job like that. Anyway. I told you it's a long story. <laughs> oh, no, I'm listening, listening. <laughs> so now I'm in Austria. I'm doing that job, which was a three month job. Boom, making more connections. Again, networking, always. And also being a good colleague. That's key. Yeah. Um, and so a, a woman that I knew in that show was like, hey, they're doing hairspray in Vienna um, at the end of the summer. So this is now 2015 would you like to do it? And I was like, yeah. There was another job that I got referred to, didn't have to step foot in an audition room to do it. So here's where I started to realize, okay, something's happening here. There's a lot of shifting. There's a lot, a lot of transition. I haven't, you know, I gave up my apartment in New York. I haven't been there for like, for a long time, <laughs> for well, a year. And I realized, okay, I think my career is headed over to this way. I don't know how this is going to happen, but I just feel it. And I just always believe in going where you want yeah. um, to. Yeah. Going, plant the seed where you will bloom. Yeah. yeah. You know, and a lot of times people think, oh, well, I have to be here in this space for me to succeed. It's like, you never know. And so I was just open, open to it all. And so I did that job in Vienna, which was another amazing job. That's the professional side. Here's the personal end, which is really how I ended up staying. Um, while I was doing all the shows in Austria, I was often traveling throughout Europe because once you're over here, it's like, oh, it's so easy to travel to other countries. Yeah. Yeah. So I would, I would be in London. I would be in Paris. I would be anywhere I could be uh, while I had the money and time. So I spent a lot of time in London, a lot, um, and I was I was single at the time, and I was you know on the apps, and I you know bumped into or slid into whatever <laughs> nudged <laughs> swiped um, into my now husband. Um, so my my husband's from London. He he contacted me first, um, and it really just sparked really quickly. I didn't expect it. Look like when my job was done in Vienna, my thought was I'm going back to New York to go back to the grind, trying to find a new place, whatever, go back yeah. to the hustle. Mm-hmm. And then I met my you now husband and my life completely changed. And so all of a sudden I had to be open to relocation. Yeah. Huh? Like, like permanently, <laughs> yeah, mass Um. We got married within the, within a year that we, that we met. Okay. So according to like, oh. you know, mainstream, that's too fast. Yeah. Um, to be honest, it was a whirlwind mm. I, because look, I'm a heavily, I'm a heavy romantic, but I just didn't expect to get married at what was then what? 25, 26. Yeah. If I have that math right. Um, 27, maybe. I just didn't expect that, and yeah. here I was, I have a man who, you know, we hit it off instantly, and for the first time I felt love at first sight, and all these good things that I started to not believe in because of my history, which we'll probably dive into a bit later. Yeah. <laughs> um, here, here it is, love in its simplest form, unconditional, and I just, I had to take it, I, I, I couldn't let that go so, yeah, that's how I ended up in London, y'all. I, well, that's, I relocated. That's an amazing story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to drink some water, because I've been running my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: remember, Bizwan, it's a podcast. You're here to talk. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I forgot, of course, you right, you're right, you're right, you're
1: right. <laughs> that's
0: great, so... I seem like have um, like have you still been um, like working like acting
1: like in London? Yeah, so we got married. I got residency, um, and I moved immediately after mm. I got that, you know the official documents and whatever the rights to live and work here. And I said, well, if I'm in London, here we go, West End. Yeah. yeah. For those of you who don't know, West End and Broadway are pretty much synonymous. You know, they're they're very parallel. They're on the same level the same caliber of work, the same prices for tickets, <laughs> oh, <love> it. Um, <laughs> the same types of shows, et cetera. So, you know, I when I graduated college or what you call uni here, when I graduated that in, t- in 2010, I moved straight back to New York and I was like, I'm getting on Broadway. And I hit the ground running and many and many a no's, no, 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 ah, nice, but no for two-and-a-half years or so, <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: yeah. so I thought, okay, well, I'm probably gonna endure the same thing here. But what was different is that I'd worked in yeah. different places, you know, yeah, I built up my CV, I also built up my confidence as a performer and as a person in general, I suddenly began to realize who I am Yeah. inside and out, and what I have to offer, and overall, figuring out what my worth is. Yeah. And so all of that really helped shape me, shape me up for these auditions. Yeah. And I went straight into that. I I got myself an agent probably within two months of moving here. Yeah. And I was like, boom, this is me. This is what I want to do. Let's do this. And I got into the auditions. And of course, like any arts industry you're still gonna get no's no matter how experienced you are somebody's still gonna say no and I I had that here but I think I auditioned for about mm, a year or so unemployed for a year yeah study job for a year and finally I got my first West End job doing Motown the musical
0: I watched uh, that. I watched yeah. that show, actually.
1: Yeah. Seen that as well, yeah. Yeah. Great. So I, was in that. I was in that from 2017 to 2019. So I did two full years of it. Yeah. And it was like some of the best times of my life.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. That particular show in it's, uh, itself, such great music in it. And they managed to fit in. So obviously, if it's Motown the musical, you're yeah. going to have, like, the Jackson 5, you're going to have the Supremes, you're going to have, like, all the acting on love. And they got, like um one of my faves my like um, my white queen tina marie into like yeah <laughs> oh, yes, it's, it's, yes you
3: get like 20 seconds of square bits don't you yes, yes. that's
0: it that's yeah. it and i appreciated i like, appreciated those 20 seconds
1: yes oh
0: did you know I'm... i never knew that tina marie was white of all listen time. i didn't
1: either because did you know? <laughs>
3: Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm the other way, I think I'm the other way around. I think I first, when I first heard or I saw her at the same time. Um, but who's the other guy who is, oh, what's his name? Is it Bobby Someone? He sings um, What You Won't Do For Love. What's his name? Uh, oh. And he's, oh, but he, basically he's a white man, and literally, for years I thought he was black, and then I saw like someone post him on Instagram. And it was the same sensation with Tina Marie. You look at them, you're thinking, oh my uh, God. Bobby, yeah. Bobby Caldwell. <laughs> That's on Bobby Caldwell, yeah. I was, yeah. like, absolutely blown away.
0: God, the thing is, so my parents had Tina Marie's greatest hits, like, on CD. And it definitely has her photo on it. But it's in black and white. So whenever I saw it, I
1: thought, oh, she's just, like, a fair-skinned black woman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was, look, same. <laughs> You got the '80s filter on, and it's like everybody looks like they're tan and glowing, and, yeah, exactly. you know. and like big hair and stuff. Yeah, tease yeah. the hair. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then um, she died. I think I can't remember. Well, I can't remember when she died. But I was writing like an essay. Uh, she was in a, in the research of the essay. I saw a photo of her, and she's just like playing Jane White woman, and I was like, I was shocked. <laughs> <laughs> I'd kind of <laughs> take a minute, like. <laughs> But yeah, oh, that's good. Good memories, good memories. Huge fan of Tina Marie. Um, Irons in the Fire is a really um, great um, album of mine.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, um, I th- I might have even seen um, seen Motown the Musical in the same year that you were there. I thought it ran about 2018, maybe 2019, one of those years.
1: Yep, I would have been there. So I was, well in many things, I was in the ensemble. Um, mostly I was in The Temptations. Um, as the all bass right. so playing melvin franklin so you would have heard me and my girl down in the basement um <laughs> ball of confusion all all that stuff
0: oh incredible <laughs>
1: yeah. i saw it i saw
3: it here in newcastle last year was that i don't know is that the same cast as the west end was it a touring cast? i know
1: so that was the uk tour so yeah i, I wasn't okay. in that cast no but well, that's when that's when i i saw it but um yeah really enjoyed it it's a great musical it's a great great piece uh, what not part of London do you live in, by the way, um, this one? So my husband and I live down, 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 far south in Zone 6 in Purley.
0: Oh, that's not, that's not that far away from me.
1: So, yeah, yeah, from Stretton, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I've never been as far as Purley myself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Listen, people think I'm in, like, Brighton, and I'm like, no, I'm halfway between <laughs> Central London and Brighton, and it only takes yeah. us... 30 minutes to drive to Gatwick, which is yeah of... So, like, if you're from London, I don't
0: think it's that far, but, like, Croydon is the furthest place that so I will, like, take myself to.
1: Like, I'm sure a lot of people will say that, but a lot, I know a lot of people that just bypass it to get to Gatwick. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, ooh, Croydon, ooh, ah, okay. <laughs> I
0: thought they would have passed it, like, you know, not like, really early morning, like, trip to the airport, maybe right. people, like, passed it then. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, like, what has it been like in um, with like these rona times
1: and everything, like working? And it's you know, it's been very eye-opening, very, very eye-opening. Of course, no one had any clue of what was going to go down. Um, the UK theaters closed on the 16th of March. I ended my contract at Tina on the 14th. So, I just missed it, basically, in terms of work and being yeah. unemployed, although I still am unemployed now. I was due to go into another job in the summer, but of course, everything got canceled. Yeah. Um, so, immediately, I'm home, and I'm like, how am I gonna make coin? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So immediately my brain just goes into hustle mode. And it's like, again, I guess, I don't know, it's because of my New York upbringing. And I just immediately think, what skills do I have? What can I put out there to get some sort of income, whether it's full, halftime, or just something, just something. So I, uh, when I was in Motown, I was the dialect coach. Um, Oh, of course. That makes sense. So so I thought, well, you know what? I love languages and I I love accents. And why not just put myself out there as an accent coach who can teach online? Because, of, of course, then Zoom popped up. Yeah. So, uh, all right. I can teach myself Zoom. Folks, I'm putting teach myself Zoom in air quotes because I'm, I'm getting old and I'm like, oh, wait, not all technology is how it was there before. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm going to teach myself Zoom and we'll do video lessons because everybody else is doing classes online now. So I did just that. I made up a little ad um, and I put it out on, on a Facebook group, a couple of Facebook groups with artists. Saying, hey, I teach American accents. I know we're in hard times now, but I know a lot of us artists just need to keep our minds active
2: mm-hmm. before we
1: go crazy. If you are, you know, if you if you just want to keep up your American accent, because a lot of British actors are heading over to the States in TV and film, I'm here. Yeah. And the the response was so amazing. Like I thought I wasn't going to get anything because people all of a sudden didn't have income. Yep. But, you know, I did it at a really reasonable price. You know, I'm not trying to rob people. I, we're in all, we're all in hard times. And I, I put myself out there and people took, took it. And I started teaching online. So that's the first thing I started to do. And I realized, okay, I like teaching. I really like teaching. And I never thought I'd say that. And so throughout the month, and I'm still doing it. I'm still yeah. coaching American Accents online and I'm just meeting more and more artists, whether it's from the stage or the screen, small yeah. to big, you know, students, adults, youth. It's it's been really amazing. So it's kept it's kept me centered, focused, and hopeful.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. So that's on the, the financial end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Art- artistically, I mean, that helps artistically, but artistically, I needed something for myself. Yeah. I was, I was giving other folks stuff. I needed something for myself. And so this is when my writing journey really took it to the next level.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I started writing in 2015, and it was like the floodgates were broken. As yeah. soon as I put pen to paper... So much that I guess had been stored up in my brain and my life experience poured onto the page and I've kept kept it up for these past five years, of course, in waves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um but finally I had the time <laughs> yeah. to write. And and the headspace. You know, I wasn't doing eight shows a week anymore. I could rest and just sit and relax and look out the window and listen to the rain. And feel the breeze and so my writing stepped it up and another huge wave of pieces came out and then i was like well since i'm teaching online i might as well share my stuff online yeah mm-hmm. so then i started to do that um you know on my second instagram page on my brisbane kofi page and my mind just started thinking outside of the box and I got into collaborations with other artists of other media, you know from photography to film to visual arts and it really took off and I'm so happy. So this is why this time for me this time in Corona has been so eye opening and enriching in certain parts because I got to create my own art. Yeah. I got to write my own poetry, present it. I first, um, I did a reading on the Native Sun page. So Native Son's a like an artist, you know, collective out, out of the United States yeah. um, that focuses on primarily gay, Black, male yeah. image and culture and expression. Yeah. So I did a reading on their live and then I decided, well, I wanna do my own presentation. So I did my own listening party where I, Pretty much I made a 12-track, a well it's not an LP, but <laughs> a 12-track collection. So I, have, yeah. I did my first audio collection of poetry, um, which is available on SoundCloud, if you want to look it up, Brisbane Kofi on SoundCloud. Um, and with that, I did a visual uh, presentation with two photographer friends of mine with pieces of theirs that we married together with my pieces available on Vimeo, if you want to see. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and once that happened, I was like, okay, bitch, you put an audio collection and an and. uh a visual album, I'ma say it. Together in a matter of two months, <laughs> you're going with something. And so I've been riding that wave ever since. It's
3: good. And so I point you're saying the inspiration just came to you, or it was already kind of already stored up after a while.
1: mm mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Um, so I'm currently I'm working on my first book something tangible to touch and flip the pages and it is my baby i hold it so close to my heart um it's the style of book is what's called a chapbook, book or some people also call it a pamphlet so it's a short book of uh about around 25 poems i think the page count is somewhere around 50 so it's very thin yeah um and it's very intimate very incident in terms of the content and what I've shared. Um, and I'm very excited to, to present it to the world. I don't have a time yet because my goal is to present it to publishers. And I learned that, you know, publishing houses have their own timelines. So that's true. Yeah. It would be lovely if it gets out around Christmas, but if not, I have patience. Yeah. Um, and whenever it needs to be put out into the world, it will be put out.
0: Yeah. So um, your piece, uh, um, what did you call it before, on Vimeo, as um, like uh,
1: like a visual album, I guess. Yes. Yeah, so um, the collection is called the Healing Section. The Healing Section. Yeah. Uh, I chose that name because of all the crap, the turmoil that was happening in the world, especially for us Black folks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And when everybody was just angry.
0: Yeah. including
1: me angry 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 and I was like I need some balance and so I put together pieces that helped us reflect
0: yeah uh, we actually know um one of the artists you work with the photographer Dwayne Black
1: yes 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 that is my judy I, I love Dwayne so much he mm, he has helped me so much as an artist in so many ways had i not met him i don't know what my work would be yeah um even just the chats that i've had with duane because he's a very visual person um he just he helped me lift the words off the paper yeah Mm -hmm. a lot of people think of poetry as just literally the words on the page yeah and a lot a lot of a lot of people also think that poetry is very inaccessible yeah um And I want my work to be accessible in many different ways to people. And so that's why I started to incorporate other forms of art. And so when when I started collaborating with Dwayne, it was magic. It's it's, it's kismet how it it happened. And so far we have three pieces together, three films um, that we put together based on my poetry and his vision. We're working on another one soon come. Um, mm-hmm. But Dwayne has been such an integral part to my journey in this, in this chapter. Um, I write more vividly now. Yeah. And more sensitively. Yeah. I want people to taste the words. I, I want them to feel the words. Yeah.
0: So what'd you say? Um, so I watched it and I, I've, like, I've consumed poetry before, kind of in two forms. So I did an English literature degree, so you have to read poetry, but that's mm. kind of, I think you can imagine what kind of poetry that would be, it's kind of, like, on the page. When we do our first year, you have to learn, like, sonnets, like, very kind of, it doesn't have any seasoning in it, to um, put it <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Reci-
1: recipes up, with man. no seasoning.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, since I've moved to London, I've like uh, watched a bit more, but it's kind of more I guess you'd say slam poetry. So as you already gets into a room, someone goes, they try the poetry, everybody clicks. It always has a beat to it.
1: Yeah.
0: And when I was watching yours, I kind of thought like it's a bit of an amalgamation of the two. Not, not the like, not the, not the sourceless bit, but the bit kind of like um, when you would have like thought, like conceptualized something, and then try to like bring it to life, kind of with the words and with moving
1: images as well. Absolutely, absolutely. You're the first person to really hit the nail in the head when it comes to describing my style. Um, I love language in structure. And an expression, yeah. So that side of my brain is always on overdrive. Yeah. However, I also love the softer side. So you know the the color, the sounds, the texture, yeah. And then going deeper, the meaning. And typically, I write about some deep stuff. So, <laughs> um, but also because because I'm a performer. I think in that way, yeah. like I, I want my poetry to be able to be read and performed. Yeah. Mm. Um, and that, you know, that's what I'm planning on doing you know, later down the line. I'm not telling you all my goals, but yeah. you know, <laughs> I, I want it to be performed. You know, poetry's actually meant to be heard. Yeah. You know? mm. And nowadays we're so stuck on eyes to the paper yeah. Um but it's it's the reason why you know things like slam poetry are more accessible um because it's it's put in a certain way that anybody can get it you know if you add musicality to it then the masses can get with it yeah. because we all as human beings love music we're nat- you know, we're naturally inclined to be musical.
0: Yeah.
1: Um so I always kept that in mind I'm like how can I judge this up I need, it needs something and that's how I've just always done my work. Yeah, definitely,
3: definitely agree. Because I think a lot of, for a lot of us, when we when we're first introduced to poetry, it's in school and it's like, you'll have like a textbook or like a collection or something. And it's like, it needs to, it kind of, it's hard to get it to bring to life if it's just in your head and reason with a page. Mm-hmm. But I watched, I watched some of um, of your collection
2: mm-hmm.
3: and I liked the, the, the photographs that went with it. And also your amazing speaking voice as well, like when you're reading as yeah, okay. also. And it, and it does draw you in, like, and it makes you kind of really listen to it and pay attention rather than just reading on a
1: piece of paper. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. I'm glad that you connect with it in, that, in, in, in those ways. That is my hope. Again, I, I want my words to reach people. I just don't want to put it on a page and just sell it for $9.99 or whatever the price may be just for the sake of it like yeah I write to inspire and I write to connect with people yeah. um the themes I write about like i I'm, I write mostly about black gay men yeah because mm-hmm. I that is me um I'm not stuck in that box you know I always pull references from many other things from other cultures from nature other religions etc because yeah. I'm also colored by, by those things, by outside influences. But it's always through the lens of a Black, gay, cis, male. Yeah. Um, and it's become my, my ethos to always have that. I, want, I always want our folk, our people, to feel something, even if it's just a little crumb that, ooh, that got, mm. that got me. Ooh, I know what that's about. Ooh, I felt that before. Every piece has to have that or else why am I writing?
0: Yeah. So I actually, (laughs) when I first went, because I I knew we were going to talk about it and I wanted to, uh, so I made a few notes, like. (laughs) 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 you saying it like that makes it seem like I was like a teacher or something. That wasn't what (laughs) it was. It was just so like I could like remember like um, some of the pieces that you did so we could talk about it later. Yeah, okay. My favourite one, I think, I keep just before you um, you came on, so we could do the chat. and I were talking. Forgive me if I get the name wrong. I think it was like, I know you see us, something like that. Is that the name of the? That the name of yeah. the? Yeah.
3: I liked that one. Yeah, that was that was proper. Like jumped out. Yeah. Like,
0: yeah. And that's why I was like, Ooh, this <laughs> I think. Yeah, I think we both agreed that like. It sounded like someone was like basically like reading reading someone for basically.
1: Ah, <laughs> yeah. Ah, yeah. Ah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if it quacks like a duck,
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So
1: uh, that is one layer. Um, I always write in layers. There's never I okay. When people ask me what is this about, I always say, "Well, what do you think it's about?" I never have one answer. I mean, I have my own reasons to the content, but I always feel like it's so much deeper than that. So the fact that you got that from that, yes, you are correct. (laughs) Um, But that's not the only thing. (laughs) I guess it's one of those things
0: where like, nothing means anything apart from the meaning you put on it. So like, you can Mm -hmm. write something, you can perform something, and even in your mind, if you had something in your head, that's like it's, it's five five people can watch or read one thing and get five different things from it. Yeah. And I think that like um, a lot of the writing that you've done in in um, in like those series of poems themselves are ones where like um, it's not too literal, which um, I quite like. Yeah, because um, in art, especially art like sort of like visual art or poems i'm not that, I'm not really not really that fussed about form so much or like having that much bigger structure on things. I don't always think it's necessary, yeah, and I think you do strike um a good balance between like kind of making it about something and then just writing so people can make their own thoughts and get their own stuff from it, which is good
1: thank you thank you I thank particularly you.
0: enjoyed is it little black book is that the it was like it was like quite the longest one yeah um, so. Was,
1: Little Black Book is a three-part piece. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, Little Black Book is probably, like, my favorite child. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. So many people connect with that. So many types of people connect with that. My father loves that piece. Yeah. And it talks about some deep shit. Excuse yeah. my French. A
3: swine, I want to swine Yeah, I'm like, um...
1: Yeah.
3: You, can, you can swear, it,
1: it's fine. <laughs> it talks about some deep shit, some deep gay shit. <laughs> and yeah. my father's a black, <laughs> heterosexual, cis male. Um, and the fact that he found something in it that he can go, ooh, it made me think this is not just for us in the LGBTQ spectrum, it's for everybody. It's yeah, not just for men. It's you know. It's just it opened my it opened my mind up, and I wrote the damn thing. Yeah, mm. you know. Um, it's also my favorite job because I it was the first piece that I um, took off the page and put it into another form. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, this collective outside of out, outside sorry this collective out of the UK out of London called the Palace of the Dogs. Um, it's an artist collective. of um, artists of different respects, most of whom I've worked with on stage. And they do all types of things in the arts. And so one of the founders, Daniel Bailey, we sat down one day and I was like, Daniel, I want to collaborate. What can we do? So we decided to do it off of Little Black Book. And this is, we had a discussion back in like November 2019. Mm -hmm. The initial... And then we really solidified it in February, I think. And he was like, all right, well, we'll do a film. Yeah. It's like, okay, like a short film. So it's a 15 minute short film um, in three parts, which is the form of the poem. And, you know, we had a cast of 12 and, you know, had a a location and and costume and makeup and all that stuff. And it was the first time that I was on that side of the table. Yeah. Um, Mm. And it felt so good, especially because this was my work. This was my writing. This is my was my vision. And to see it executed, and to see it executed so well, and everyone that was involved from cast and crew was just so on board. Oh, I loved it. So we shot it in the beginning of March, two weeks before <laughs> the nation, the world went crazy. Yeah. Um, it was a lovely day, and we had plans to screen it in person in the spring. Obviously that can happen. But we managed to screen it online over Zoom um, a- about a month ago. Yeah. And it went really successfully. Got a great turnout and just a great response from the piece. So we put it out. It's going back into the editing room because you know yeah. we can always improve on things. Mm-hmm. And the hope is just to put it out, you know, present it to different organizations, art groups, art institutions, donors, <laughs> you know, I'm, gonna put it, I'm gonna put it up there, <laughs> anybody who connects with it because look it's a piece that a lot of people connect with and I'm like we need to put her out, put her out. Yeah so,
0: I agree. I think that um, when I first started when I first started watching it and listening to it I kind of thinking like a little black boy. I was thinking like usually that means something like something quite like maybe sexual mm. or something that I like, need to be put away. So that's what I was, that's the space I was in. But then like you got like a bit deeper in as it went. I was like, oh, there's like much more than that. And I started thinking like, is that book like my identity? Like, why? <laughs> ah. I guess yeah for me, I connected with it because like it. It comes from a place of, uh, like, me, obviously me being a black gay man, being a black queer man myself, it reminded me, kind of like the little black book or the image of it, I think, that you made in the poem. It's kind of me being a, a black gay man, but having yeah. this little black book, as in, like, this is where I can have my sexuality and just close it away. So it really kind of reminded me of a space when I was more kind of closeted and kind of mm. being gay, but not really, not really being the person I am now. Yeah. and kind of. I don't know. I guess in a roundabout way, I think uh, I'm trying to say that I connected with it too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I mean, and if you, well, when I, when I uh, get the book out, you'll see it in written form. Uh, it's basically written in sentences. You know, so yeah. it's it's able to be read easily, and you can literally pick out, oh, that's about me. That's about me. <laughs> yeah. This is about me. <laughs> You know, it's, it's literally in, in lines and in strips yeah. <laughs> in the piece written. Um, I wrote it, it's like my diary, you know. It's my diary of the past 16 years. I'm 32 years old, and I think, my, yeah, my sexual journey began at 16. And it's half of my life on the page. Yeah um it was it was a piece that i didn't think about a damn piece of form i didn't think about rhyming i didn't think about anything the only thing that was constant that i did think about was having each part start start off little black book little black book so that it's cemented in your head Mm -hmm. that repetition yeah um i mean the the amount of pages i took up in my book my workbook Oh man, I thought, oh, okay, let me stop. But then I just kept going. <laughs> yeah. And when I knew to stop, I knew to stop. Yeah. And It was about reorganizing things, and you know how how is this gonna hit the person? And I I, I wanted to I wanted the readers to go on a journey
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, with me in that piece. So yeah, it's I I love I love that piece so much. I love that piece so much.
0: Yeah. The way you're describing it. And when you're talking about the repetition, it's really reminding me of um, When I Get Home by Solange, who um. Um, makes, uh, like, well, her, her name makes a frequent appearance on, uh, on this podcast because we're such huge fans. <laughs> yes, we are, yeah. <laughs> um, when, um, when I Get Home came out, um, there's a lot of repetition on that. So the same lines. It's a bit differently to you because I feel like you extrapolate each point as it goes on. But yeah. still, I think when we saw it live and she was kind of, like, explaining that, like, um, when, I think, I can't remember what you're saying, but, like, when she was, like, younger and her mum was, like, he used to say things three times to her, so it would, like, really go in and stuff like that. And it kind it kind of made me understand it. And I think maybe there's the, uh, like a kind of parallel there between
1: the two. Yep. Maybe. <laughs> Absolutely. Listen, I, I realise there's certain... Uh, there's certain writing traits that I recognize as my own. And my I own. love repetition. It happens in a lot of my pieces, repetition of lines, of, of phrase, short phrases. And it's kind of it's kinda like a hypnosis type of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I want I want you to, I want it to stick with you. And that's that could be, you know, I guess if we think psychologically, a reason why a lot of people connect with that piece. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But the fact that Little Black Book is in this piece so many times. Yeah. That could be a thing. I don't know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Did you have, like, any inspiration for, like, your work? Like, any like do you read mont poetry? Or was there, like, any, like, work that you draw from? Um, well, the fact that you mentioned
1: Solange... Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say this. I love Beyonce. Yeah. I love what she does. And I love what she's put out. And, you know, later on in the years, as she started putting out deluxe visual albums, yeah. it changed the game. And, it, of course, that is a part of me. And obviously, when I put out a visual, I'm like, of course there's elements of how she does things yeah, um, and a lot less, of what yeah. people put out visually now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Solange's visual works hit me on such a deeper level. When I get home, (laughs) oh my goodness. I watch it so many, so many times. And when I listen to the soundtrack, I see it in my head already because i watched it so many times. Yeah. And just the motifs that she brings up, um, just culture, her ties to culture and her reference to her culture from the small details that maybe not everybody knows about or gets or understands, but by the end of the piece, you know a little bit more about that person and his or her culture. So it just made me go, just write about you, honestly. Don't worry yeah. about, Oh, will everybody get this, understand this, understand this language, this lingo, this, this setting. Maybe not. But my, by the end of it, maybe they will. Or maybe yeah. they'll walk away not understanding what the hell just happened, which a lot of people feel about salons. Like, oh, what was that? Not what I expected, not for me, which is fine. Yeah. But if you get it, oh, it's, it's hit you. Yeah. Um, and so salons has been a huge influence uh in this journey of mine especially for a seat at the table and when I get home yeah in terms of other poets I love Toni Morrison um oh, me too, I read yeah. a lot of Toni Morrison in high school by not by choice you know because it was part of the curriculum but <laughs> yeah. it, it made me fall in love with her um the bluest eye um I think it's probably my favorite in terms of just the style of writing Yeah, and it inspired a lot. How about how I wrote some of the pieces in my upcoming book? Just like little bits. Yeah, little bits. Just ooh, I love how she just did that and how she did that. Um, Song of Solomon, Sula. Yeah, Sula and uh, uh, Beloved. You know, it's just it's so beautiful it is so rich colorful tasty it's also just like it's from heaven how she mixes spirituality with the earth Mm -hmm. (laughs) i fell in love with that as a teenager so and that's always stayed with me Um, it's, it's she's the reason why i bring elements of spirituality into my writing because yeah. I know it's okay to do so, you yeah. know, <laughs> you know, and, and, and not, and not have a fear of it sounding too religious or too churchy or whatever. Yeah. Um, I've, I think, you know, and I've managed to find that balance and I'm still navigating that balance of incorporating spirituality into my work, especially into work that's sexual in nature. Yeah. Um, so OG Tony Morrison, James Baldwin, of course, I'm still educating myself on James Baldwin so I'd say I'm actually more comfortable with Tony Morrison than I am with, with James Baldwin the mm-hmm. same as Audre Lord um but the the pieces that I've in, introduced myself to with both Lord and Baldwin I'm like oh <laughs> <laughs> and y'all are from back in the day you know it's like <laughs> So again, it was affirmation that it's okay to write in your voice. It's okay to write about your experiences, how you think. You don't have to conform to everybody else. Yeah. Um, And then finally, more writing inspirations, Brian Washington, who's the author of Lot, L-O-T, Lot. And um, who else, Uh, Danez Smith was a poet who I'm like if I meet Danez Smith one day I might become speechless I love Danez Smith's writing so much he's a contemporary writer from the states who writes about a lot of the same uh, themes that I do and it's just raw it is raw Mm -hmm. and it's the rawness from his and I'm just like oh okay it's okay to be that too yeah got it yeah Brian Washington author of lot he talks about his upbringing in his home as as a gay black and Hispanic man in Texas Mm -hmm. you know and he he writes so honestly and he brings up a lot of references that not a lot if you're not from Texas you're probably not gonna get yeah but by the end of the book you feel like you know all about his neighborhood and so he brings you he brings you into his world which is something I thought okay it's okay to do that too got it (laughs) so all of (laughs) All of my inspirations from authors and poets, I'm like, they're affirmations for me that it's okay for me to be me. Simply put, it's okay for me to be me and to put that on a page and that somebody wants to read it. Yeah. Amazing.
0: Um, not to bring it back to Beyonce. <laughs> That's all right.
1: Bring it back to me. I
0: you wanted to know what you thought of Black is <laughs> King? Have you watched it?
1: I have, yes, I have.
0: Have you watched it, Key? I've not watched it yet, actually. You, you haven't seen watched it? Not yet. No. I'm so surprised at that. Why have you watched
3: it? Uh, like, I don't get as... Oh gosh, I don't get as excited about Beyonce these days. <laughs> but it's obviously I will watch it. But like, when Solange puts something out, I'm like, oh my let's see it with Beyonce. I'm like, oh, I'll see it eventually, kind of thing. Um, so it's on. It's on my list definitely, but it just, it just wasn't a, a pressing priority for me, but. I'll
1: let you guys then, talk about it as you have. <laughs> <clear. laughs> what did you? What did you think? This I thoroughly enjoyed it. I I had to talk about it in layers. So the first layer is of course the visuals. Yeah. Simply put, the the representation of various cultures africa and of the diaspora um because you know it was being performed by africans and the african diasporic people yeah. um i thought oh man i mean it was a complete it was completely saturated with us in so many ways and i just i got chills watching so it was a melange of just so many things i was like oh this is Overload in a good way, so I, I loved it in that. Um, I really wish it was new music, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and not an album that she put out what last year. I don't know when that came out. Yeah. Um, but whatever, I got past that because it then made me see those pieces in a different way, um, I, and I love that. What maybe half of the half of the album, she features um, other African artists. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Most of whom I had no clue about. And yeah. now I'm like, well, I'm downloading you, 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 mm-hmm. you, all your music. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that. I love that. Um, I know there's a lot of controversy behind it. And I, don't, I never get into Beyonce controversy because, you know, everybody has a right to write their opinion. As long as you address her hard work and her creativity and how she executes things. Yeah it's about the execution as i think as long as you appreciate that i'm fine yeah i'm not i am not the type of beyonce fan that's like you have to love everything she does yeah I'm not, I'm not i'm not that i'm not that girl but what was put out was beautiful and it will it will be remembered
0: mm-hmm.
1: for sure yeah through time and it, and again it'll inform other artists it's okay for you to express your Africanness. Yeah. Your, you know, Black artists, your Africanness. Um, I wish this could have happened earlier in time. I wish it were okay, quotation mark, okay, for us Black people, Black artists, to be proud in our Blackness. And it goes deeper because as a Black American, um, there's this complicated history of, us knowing our culture as black Americans, but we don't have another country to tie it to, but the United you States, know. those of who are generations brought brought up in the States like I am. Um, and so it's always been this battle of trying to connect with Africa, which is something that Beyonce is doing. And, uh, you know, a lot of people from the continent found it problematic and a lot of people from the United States found it problematic. Cause it's like, is it appropriation? Is it appreciation? What is it? And it's like, it's so complex with black Americans. You know, we're a people group who, I feel like we're unique when it comes to, uh, black people in the Americas, Canadians, Americans, Brazilians, Afro-Latinos, you know, those those people that went through the transatlantic slave trade and, and everybody in Caribbean, went through the transatlantic slave trade, may or may not know what African country or, or people group they are connected to Um, yeah um and through years and decades and centuries (laughs) yeah of you know being separated from that we lose that part of us and now you know with technology with dna and ancestry and all that stuff we now are starting to make strides towards reconnecting Mm-hmm. With with Africa, and that comes out in a lot of people's artwork, Beyonce included. And I think she has every right to do so. I do so myself. Look, my poetic name, Brisbane Kofi, obviously one half of it is very clearly Ghanaian. Yeah. I'm not born in Ghana. I am probably what seventh or eighth at least generation. United States of America yeah. um, back to slavery time. So I have no direct link lineage wise to Ghana. But when I did my ancestry DNA stuff back in 2017, um, present day Ghana, Ivory Coast was the highest percentage. And so immediately I felt a pride because finally, I feel like I have something deeper to connect to other than Slavery, yeah. Um, yeah, and my my poetic name, my my pen name, is an homage to my lineage and my ancestry. Brisbane is one of my family names; my mother's maiden name. It's a name that I don't have in my government name, so I and I love the name, so I finally thought, here's time to lift that up. Mm-hmm. And Kofi um, was chosen because I was born on a Friday, and Ghanaian males in a certain culture in Ghana. I'll call Kofi if they're born on Friday. And so that's how my name was born. Well, I didn't know that, actually. Yeah. I didn't know that either. Yeah. Oh. Um... So, you know, it's from little things like that to Beyonce putting out a full-on film about African cultures, you know, that she may or may not have ever experienced or witnessed. I, I just say, please let us, because it's something that finally we, we as people can say, well, we're a part of this too. This is a part of me too yeah um you know as time goes i guess technology will get better where we can start to really identify which tribes and cultures we are really folk you know uh connected to lineage wise but you know for now we we are dealing with what we know and we are now choosing to celebrate that because a lot of times black americans don't want to be connected with africa in a bad connotation so I'm like, okay, let us be black, <laughs> please, please let us, please, because y'all yeah. white folks don't want us. So yeah. I was like, well, what do we have? Yeah, what do we have? So that's my that's my commentary on Black is King. Of course, there's so many details about it. The reef, yeah. Um, but we that's a whole other that's a whole other lecture, workshop, whatever. Yeah. Um, but overall, I love Black is King, and I loved I loved Lemonade and. You know uh, that was very american and very specific to her especially Mm, down where from where she's from and you talk about creole cultures and all that stuff down there which i have no idea about and that's not my lineage but it's still our story yeah you know as a Mm -hmm. people um and so i'm just like just let us let us express finally our true and full selves
0: yeah I was going to ask before, actually, like, I'm so glad that you mentioned You were like, um, you preempted me because you are from, um, you're from New York specifically. Yeah. You've been in the UK for a good amount of time now for what's going on six years. And I was wondering, like, is there, I don't have to phrase the question, like, is there a difference between, or have you noticed a difference between, like, black and queer in like new york i don't know where specifically in new york you're from as opposed to being like a black queer man a black gay man here in london Hmm. have you noticed a difference there a difference have you noticed you know what i'm asking oh yeah
1: oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) okay (laughs) turn the page next chapter so who? where do i start with this the short answer is yes i've noticed a difference and it's a huge difference um a lot of people ask me, oh, is it, you know, how is it? Is it like New York? And honestly, London is like New York. There's so many parallels between two, the two cities in terms of infrastructure and culture and mm-hmm. nightlife and, and lifestyle and um, expression. So that's the easy side, e- the easy stuff put off When you get into the nitty gritty of the social interactions, that's where it gets so complicated. Um, as a black gay cis male, from new york i you know i grew up in a mostly black and brown environment Mm -hmm. black and latino that's that's just been my thing all my life of course white people were part of it but they were the minority in every almost every sector yeah um, of mine and so i got here and i thought oh my gosh it's so it's, it's really it feels like it was the same of course, it's a majority white country and a probably a majority white city, but it's still so diverse. So as I was always expecting the same to happen in the queer community, that you would uh-huh. have a high level diversity, which will reflect the country that we're in, yeah. or at least the region that we're in. Yeah. And whoo, was I wrong? Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, huh. The first thing when I started to get into the lifestyle, you know, and when I, when I say that, I mean nightlife, <laughs> um, was what clubs am I going to? What clubs or bars am I going to? Because that's how my, you know, my late teens and early 20s were defined. You know, you, you go to this club for that, you go to this bar for that, you go to this lounge for that. Um, and that starts to shape your, your nightlife as yeah. a young adult. And you start to build your tribe through these spaces, and all of a sudden, I'm looking and I'm in Soho, and I'm like, okay, well, Circus, is that the name? Circa, yeah, Circa's cute. This is not me every weekend, but she's cute if I want to feel bougie, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if I want to, if I want to overpay for a drink and get looked up and down by some white folks, but okay. Um, so then I was, started, I was like, well, where else can I go? And then there's the question that I now get from visitors. Well, where do, where do the black people go? Um, and I'm still trying to answer that question. Um, <laughs> this day. I mean, what? We have Scala, when it's open, I went to the moon, and yeah. um, Bootylicious and um, I'm pretty sure there's a couple, well. There's, um,
0: there's Queerbrook. Yes. Know. That's um that's kind of more um kind of like Caribbean yeah. and like the like legaton and stuff like that. But that as well. I think the thing is that like there's no I don't think even in even in this London. But let me tell let me tell you this one. The experience as a black queer man in London is starkly different across the rest of the UK. So we did an episode before. Where Kieran and I, he's in Newcastle, which is overwhelmingly white. Mm. Um, we were both on Grindr at the time, and when I got on it, like, there was like a sea, a cavalcade <laughs> of white faces, and there was like no, there's nowhere at all. So, like, even though, I mean, it's like, it, I think you need to go to, to you need to go to, to really experience it, but I. Like, yeah london even though i don't think or it's going to be a long time before there's like a space or like a club or a bar that specifically caters to not not just black gay men black queer people in general
1: yeah yeah
0: um but even in but in london it's still like it's still so much better than like around the rest of the uk
1: wow
0: yeah like much much better than the rest of the uk
1: (sighs) i mean i can't say it's terrible because they're just there are places around the world that don't cater to us at all. So, you (laughs) know, but relatively speaking from my, you know, my perspective as a New Yorker and having what I considered to be everything. I mean, I felt like I was spoiled, especially in the heyday of when I was clubbing Mm -hmm. um, before things started closing and, you know, people started being priced out of their rent. So all of a sudden all these clubs started closing down and it's like where do we go i got to experience and you got you had a choice of where you wanted to go you had to strategize who do i think is going to be at this club who i think is going to be at th- <laughs> what what field do i want tonight do i want to sweat with the walls do i want to just keep it keep- i we had such a big choice and i get here and it's like guess i'm going to freedom to the r and room yeah, <laughs> I mean, sorry, not freedom. Um, so heaven, sorry, heaven. Let's get someone to heaven to wow. room. room. Um, <laughs> it's, it's such a stark difference
0: when I do a sidebar on heaven. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, so I don't want, I, I don't want to, um, get, I don't want to trash the space because it's mm-hmm. one for gay people, for LGBT people. I've only been once, and the one time I did go. It's a bit weird, man, like, people do, like, I've, whenever I go to, like, a like a gay club or, like, a queer space, I expect to be, you know, people would, like, look you up and down, they dress you down, that's fine. But I think it was mm. so much more intense. In heaven, at the R&B room, I felt like I was, like, under surveillance. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was uncom- uh, uncomfortably so, I'd say, yeah, like, really uncomfortably so. And like you know, when someone like with people like try to dance a bit too close. To you.
3: <laughs> when you said, when you say
0: you were in the R and B
3: room and you're under surveillance, was it by your skin folk or by fetishizers? No, or no, what, no, are you, what are you I saying love, here? Like by skin folk. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> people have strategically gone to the R and B room. Str- exactly. There yeah, it is. The strategy. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> Oh, this is good, because so I've, I've never been out in Soho once, I don't think, ever. So I like hearing these stories about it, just to prepare myself when I finally do go. Um,
1: I, was, I was walking through Soho yesterday. I was with a friend of mine, my friend Lemoy, um, another black brother of mine, gorgeous. And we were walking on Old Compton Street, and this is around 5.30, so the streets are packed. So now they've made Old Compton Street. I like al fresco dining so it's just people yeah. eating and sitting and we're walking my our business and all you just feel the energy shift as soon as you step onto old compton street because it's like walking like i don't know it's like a meat rack all of a sudden you just feel like yeah. you're on display as the <laughs> the catch of the, the catch of the day yeah. and I just start, to, oh, I feel so uncomfortable. Especially if you walk past Cafe Nero and all the probably middle-aged white white guys, who I assume are mostly Italian, um, sitting down at cafe tables, literally eyeing you. Yeah. Um, you can just you can just feel the saliva dripping down the sides of their mouths. It's just like, oh, and so you start to pick up your pace. And it's like, oh, I don't want to speed walk, but okay. Guess. To feel comfortable, I have to, and so yeah, I've had the same feeling, Ainsley, in heaven. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> By the strategizers who yeah. like, <laughs> got them all together. In the way Yeah. Oh. It's
2: it's
3: interesting what you're saying about New York and everywhere closing. Because um, mm. I went in 2018, and I was with two friends, two girls, and we were like, "Oh, we should go to gay bar while we're here." I didn't really know any locals, so we had a quick Google around, and they were like, "Like, come on, let's find like a black LGBT club." And we we found one in um, we were staying in Brooklyn, and it's called. It's closed down now, though. It goes into what you were saying before. It's um, it's called Langston, I think.
1: Ah, so good! <laughs> like, I knew you were going to say Langston once you said Brooklyn. Oh my
3: god! No, I, I don't know what your experience is, is of it, but I absolutely loved it. Like, I've, I've been out all day. I was super tired. And then went there, I was like, oh my God, like, it's a club, but it's enough black people. No one cares about what anyone's doing, everyone's just dancing. But um, I enjoyed it as a tourist. I don't know what your opinion is of the place, but uh, <laughs> I loved it. Woo! <laughs> the
1: memories. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Langston's was lit. Oh my goodness! It was when you, it was when you wanted to go be seen as a piece of meat by your own folks. <laughs> nah, the playlist was so good, so <laughs> and you could just shake your ass all night long. I all oh, RIP Langston's. <laughs>
3: I was really sad, like when I, I just happened to Google it, um, cause like a year after I'd gone, I was thinking, oh, what was the name of that club that we went to? And I found it and it seemed like we closed down.
1: Yeah. It's really sad. But... So many places gone. Yeah. Um, But to go, <laughs> gosh, was, this was such a tangent, but this is still re- uh, relevant. Just about the comparison between black gay culture that I'm used to and the black gay culture here. Um, I just, still to this day, I just try to figure out how do, how do black queer folk here, especially in London, build their tribe um, if there's so few spaces to congregate? Well, I've had a lot of trouble with that.
0: (laughs) So um, I came out of the closet a bit later. Mm. And um because i 'm not from the city either, so it 's really hard to build your tribe as you say, because mm. like you need you need places to go, for instance, and not only do you need places to go because like I have a lot of friends, but they 're not necessarily queer friends, and like i 've got a lot of like black friends I've got like black female friends who would go with me to spaces like this, but sometimes you just want to be with like other other queer black people, other gay black people
1: yeah.
0: do this. Otherwise, it feels like, you know, like when you... It, otherwise, it feels like they're going on, like, an expedition trip or something. or They're like, <laughs> 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 just, like, humouring you. Class excursion, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I didn't want it to be like that. So I've been alone. I've been to nights like, alone, like, once or twice. But it's, it's so hard and i think almost impossible to be honest with you so i like um so how i met Dwayne, for instance bringing it back to him so he did photography for an organization blackout uk yeah so, just for like basically for black queer men and we got um we um, got in touch with the people who run it and that's kind of the space it's not like it's not entertainment. Well, I guess it is entertainment, but it's, like, it's not just for like going out or nightlife necessarily. It's for like a more holistic kind of thing for men. Mm, and that's kind yeah. of the way that I've managed to meet more more uh, like black queer people like us. Before I moved to London, I'd never met one before. Apart from me and apart from Kieran, I'd never met a single, a, not a single one. Which that you knew, of, you knew of? That we knew of, yeah. yeah. I did not know that, Ainsley. I mean, I've
3: not met many, but I didn't realize that with you. Interesting.
1: Yeah. See, that I mean, sounds so okay. foreign to me.
3: Yeah.
1: Wow. I, mm.
3: I guess for, for me, on the apps, obviously, loads, I speak to those black gay guys on the apps and stuff, but maybe social circle wise, people you actually do stuff with all the time. Yeah. Maybe not as many. It's not even there, but just scattered about.
0: On the apps, I found, so like, I've. Um, it's been weird because the only like black guys that I've known on the apps I've either dated, I've, yeah, I've basically only dated. It's never been like a friendship thing, mm-hmm. or anybody else is kind of you know a bit of a DL thing. So they only want to talk to you to have sex with you. They're not interested in like trying to get to know you and like forming yeah. any kind of relationship, like platonic relationship. So it's hard. Yeah, it's a. Uh, yeah, it's, um, it's hard to form the tribe. I think if you are from London and you're black and queer and you've had more time in the space, and I think it's easier. But if, like, mm. if you're not, then it's much, much harder.
1: Mm. Oh, man. I mean, people still manage to do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah,
0: definitely. I think from doing this podcast is, um, is what's like, brought us into contact with so many, like yeah. black queer people not necessarily just men or people that like, i could be friends with i have formed friendship with i've made links with i've networked with but um before we did that like um if we didn't do this podcast i don't, I don't actually know where i don't know what where, where, where would be or what i'd be doing or like how i'd be guess, yeah. the evening i used
3: to, I, used to well, I i'm on twitter a lot but i don't really interact with people on twitter just because i'm i'm just quite shy and withdrawn but, um there's like there's quite a lot of black LGBT folk like sort of floating around on Twitter and stuff, yeah, um whether they tend to fall fully formed friendships not, I wouldn't know because I'm more of just a
0: passerby or spectator or whatever
2: but
0: It's definitely hard, Pass-by. and like you definitely need to have like a certain level of like of confidence and like, of yeah. like to get it like to approach people that you don't know, and I'm not sure if I have that sort <laughs>
1: of know I like, do. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the podcast is a great way to do that. You know, a lot of people feel comfortable doing something like a podcast because it's something structured. But Mm -hmm. I've what I've come to experience is that it's just hard meeting new people here and meeting new people and uh, forming fruitful relationships with people Um, Mm -hmm. because I don't know. It's just I don't know. Maybe the culture overall is just a bit more reserved, or I'm not quite sure, but I'm used to being able to go up to somebody and kind of hitting it off, or at least feeling welcome to engage, and a lot of people are disengaged unless they know you deeply through someone or through something, and I've just got a lot of looks like, do I know you, do you know Uh, me, Uh, how do we know each other? Is yeah. there something and, that we connect with? And especially
3: yeah. if you're in London as well. Like, I've never lived in London, but upon there loads and loads. But London's, do you have a, the city of London has a reputation for it's like it's unusual to talk to strangers, isn't like what you're doing, kind of thing. Um, mm. <laughs> I think people are a bit friendlier up north country, but in the UK in general, I reckon it's more that. Relax- or sorry, more like maybe uptight about speaking to strangers compared to like America, for example. Right. Um, so it can be a bit, a bit difficult, and I think the older you get and the more established people become in their circles, then it's harder to to make new friends, as you say. I I I thought that as well. Anyway, like, um, oh, okay, people get into relationships or they've they've got their established circle, circle, um, social circle, um, and it's like they, I think a lot of people feel like they get past the stage where they need to make friends. It's just like, yeah. oh, I'm also, ah, I'm yeah. good. yeah, right.
1: Hmm i think yeah that's it i think yeah Yeah. that helped explain it for me because still to this day i'm like um can i actually say i'm i'm close friends with a lot of people and i can't not here most of my friends are still from you know from back home and obviously i'm not with them so it's it's kind of difficult but i'd say again in this in this coronavirus time this quarantine time i've made so many meaningful connections whether they're deep long lasting or whether they're you know just for now um especially in the queer community yeah Mm. with creatives and artists and organizations The blackout uk for me was another way you know i got to meet mark thompson and he was part of my you know the screening and discussion for little black book and um people like josh rivers and i got to i didn't meet in person lady phil but you know, we chat on Instagram yeah. and yeah. She's getting to know me as an artist, and I'm like, I've been here for six six years, and I'm like, I kind of treat a lady Phil as like a celebrity. So it's yeah, like the no, so I, I do I. Yeah, so do I. Yeah. Exchange words with her on social yeah. media, I'm kind of like, ah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's it's been through organization that I feel like. I've been able to reach out to other folks in our community, and it kind of sounds the same with you. You know, yeah, you having this platform and meeting different types of people is very different than saying, "Hey, you look like I can vibe with you on the street." Let's be <laughs> yeah. <her,"> you know. <laughs> no,
0: it's that is one hundred percent the truth. um we met Mark. We've met Mark a few times, mm. and I think he's so cool. He's like. We don't know him well,
2: yeah. But
0: like, um, I think one of the things that I take the most is that like, if there are black, like black, if there are black queer men, black gay men, especially if they're a bit older, because it means that like, I just want to, because I personally just want to see like black queer men or anyone actually who are just like just living their lives, like them being black and queer isn't an issue, like um, that's not a source of shame or anything. Yeah. and i get that so much from Mark. i think he does such great work i think he taught, i think he speaks so well i'm just like such a huge fan of <laughs> like, him uh, yeah i'm such a huge fan of his as you can probably hear so yeah so i've like i've gotten to meet him a few t- i've gotten to meet him a few times we've got i've been able to chat and yeah like i said i don't feel like people like him they necessarily i like, i think they take stuff like that in their stride but like for like a little black gay boy like me, <laughs> um, it's important. Like it is important. I think it kind of shows you like what you can achieve and what you can be.
1: Yeah. Hmm.
0: You don't realize that until you see until you see the person or until you see, you see it.
1: Absolutely. But um, yeah. See, we'll we'll always find a way. Nothing ever yeah. stops us. It's just different. It's true. It is. Yeah.
3: Brisbane, do you want to just introduce your, you know, your sort of
1: Vimeo pages and stuff? Do you want to drop the links to
3: us just for people
1: to listen to? Sure. Uh, So there's many ways you can witness and hear my works. Um, First and foremost, my website. It is www.brisbonkofi.com. I spell my name B-R-I-S-B-O-N. K-O-F-I. So that's Brisbane Kofi. Again, the website is www.brisbanekofi.com. I have a Vimeo page. So if you just go on Vimeo, you can search Brisbane Kofi. I'm not going to give you the link (laughs) um, over voice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In the same respects, I do have a SoundCloud page as well. Uh, The SoundCloud page is where you can hear my audio collection, the healing section, which I released uh, this spring, this, this past spring. And yeah, look out for a book coming your way within the next year. Excellent. So um, everybody go
0: and listen to the healing section and then go to Vimeo and watch the healing section. I think um, we've already highlighted there is great poetry on it. There is great visuals as well. The both both of them tied together um, I think um, for especially for something that came out in all this madness, it definitely like something that speaks to the times. Uh, which I think, yeah, I think is great. So um, thank you so much for joining us, Pizvan, and um, uh, chatting Kiki with us.
1: Thank you for having me. I loved it. <laughs> the Kiki is real. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And I like that we're both we're both South London guys. Yeah, <laughs>
1: life exists on this side of the river. <laughs> <laughs> the
0: best life exists on this side this side of the river. What are you talking about? Uh, South London for life. I mean, I'm not even from London.
1: <laughs> Me neither. <laughs>
0: <Hey>. <laughs> but yeah, South London for life. But um, we're Black Boy Joy. Um, subscribe to us on spotify on iTunes, apple podcasts on most good streaming platforms where they um follow us on instagram we're at blackboyjoypodcast what's your instagram bit instagram
1: biz my instagram is at brisbane kofi
0: yes um we're on twitter as well we're at blackboyjoypod um but yeah like subscribe share the it all um, you can email us at flatboy.podcast at gmail.com as well if you want to. But yeah, that's uh, that's another podcast done. We're, uh, yeah, we're finished. We're done for the evening. So thanks, everyone. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Thank you. Bye.